Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, your tall, dark, and handsome host here, alongside the diminutive Grail Hallett, our sports <laughs> media executive, and Stamp Griswold, a man so in love with the Syria ah, that he took it to the prom. I don't even know what that means. Our guest today on Over the Ball, the host of Football with Grant Wall. Grant Wall will be here talking to him. We, we had a great conversation with him. As always, Grant knows so much about so many things. Today on the show, we're going to talk about uh, Gareth Bale. Looks like he's headed to Spurs. That deal uh, looks like it's been solidified. World Cup qualifying. Oh, yeah. Remember those? Uh, U.S. men's national team. NWS uh, L-Stars are fleeing the league for foreign shores in mass. Bad sign for the professional women's soccer league in the States. Who knows? We'll talk all about it today on OTB. But first, guys, before we get going on this stuff, what are you over today on Over the Ball? Yeah, I, well, I'll jump in first. I, I just I can't stand how these seasons are starting up again while the transfer window is still open. I mean, I know this is a strange year, but this happens every year. I mean, it mean it just makes the first couple of games of the season feel like exhibition and preseason. You know, you got guys on the bench because they're about to get sold. You, you don't have your full team. I mean. I don't know. It just bugs me. I, I want to be able to break down the entire season now with, you know, the team they're going to have and not wait for another month. Tough on the fans. It's tough on the players, too, not knowing, you, you know, um, when you're playing for your team or you're playing for the perhaps future team you may be with. Grail, what do you got? What are you over today? I'm over being called diminutive. No, that's actually not right. That, that's not right. Um, I, and I, I've, never been, I've never been called tall or dark no, either. I, I don't. Me? Have a complex? Come on. No. Uh, I'm going back to some familiar turf here. I'm over Jose Mourinho's complaining in advance of the start of the new season about the schedule that he thinks is unfair to his Spurs team. So, oh, again, it, it, it reminds me a lot of a, 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 a familiar figure we know in this country who is saying in advance of the election that it's not actually going to be real because it's rigged and whatever. So Jose, along those lines, adopted the same posture and basically said in advance, kind of planting the seeds, if we don't do well, it's going to be because of the schedule. In the schedule, yeah. We're playing too many games in too short a period of time. Just classic Jose Mourinho. Would have nothing to do with uh, you know him and his uh, how they play. How about how they play? Yeah, <laughs> I know it's amazing. Well, mine's a little bit connected with that. I you know watching the Liverpool Leeds game, which we'll talk to Grant a little bit about as well. Um, I want to see a competitive Premier League this year in the sense of nobody pulling away. Uh, you know, Man City just blew everybody away that that you know two years ago, and then this past year Liverpool just. It was so fun to watch this scrappy Leeds uh, United team jump in there and just uh, go toe-to-toe with Liverpool in possession and uh, being dangerous in the box. I mean, it was – they deserved the draw, maybe. I think even Klopp was somewhat like, wow, tipping his hat to Bielsa. Actually, to be fair, Flinny, Man City won it by an eyelash two years ago. Remember, they were – they and, and Liverpool were going toe-to-toe. Oh, as well as Liverpool. Right, right, right down to the end, and they both ended up with an amazing number of points. But, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I would love to see it be really competitive. I, I have a feeling that Man City has a, a point to prove this season, and they're going to be very, very tough to beat. But, you know, but basically a normal soccer season is you lose some games. You yes. know, that's just the way it goes. It's just yeah. the ups and downs. You're, you're playing so many games that you, you can't win them all, even when you're a great team, to go undefeated like that. Uh, 
Well, Liverpool set such a high bar for themselves, right? Right. Although, although to be fair, like the last couple months of the season when they came back, they were not the Liverpool of the first half. So. Oh, no, yeah, which was scary for everybody who was a Liverpool fan and Klopp. So, um, Sam, a great article on ESPN highlighting many of the uh, American players that are the top European clubs this season. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's basically just pointing out how we as a country have never had such a solid contingent, um, both in numbers and in terms of the clubs that they're in, the profiles. Uh, and so, it, it, you know, on the one hand, it does get me excited for this year. Obviously, I'll be really into watching uh, Weston McKennie at Juventus. But it, it, it struck me, the disconnect struck me between all these guys and uh, the state, the sort of fragile state of our national team right now um i thought was worth pointing out but um certainly a lot of a lot of fun stories to watch across uh across europe this year with yeah. american players and the fan psyche my god we all just watch you know i mean like watching a national team game is already nervy enough never mind with the fact that we didn't qualify last time the stakes are much and, higher and, and remember sam to that point you know they're these players these american players are playing with the best of the best so you can imagine what it's like when you come back to the national team and you have to then adapt your game to the those players you're playing with who don't move and read the game anywhere close to the way their club team teammates are doing. Well, national level, I think, is pretty high. But also the other national teams are dealing with the same thing. It's just that our guys are so young, just getting this, this great experience, which there can be no downside to it. Um, just with the, the weirdness that's going on in the world right now is uh, it's not so great. So um, talk a little bit – Grail about Division One college soccer. Give us an update on that one. Looks like they moved the seasons. Well, yeah. So it, it looks like they're they've got some buy-in to a spring season, uh, which would start in late February. Um, it would essentially go for a couple months, and then they would have a college cup uh, around May thirteenth or something like that. So I don't know, Sam. You may know. I, I don't know if it's a done deal yet, or I think it's still pretty much in the proposal phase. But well, it looks uh, yeah, I think it's yeah. pretty much finalized at this point. The okay. D1 Council approved uh, okay. a package of proposals for basically all fall NCAA championships, um, not including football, obviously. Um, but, you know, and men's and women's soccer are both yeah. a part of this. Uh, there is the stipulation, however, that the tournament field would be cut – or, sorry, would only be at 75% capacity, which means there'd be 48 teams in the women's D1 tournament and 36 in the men's tournament. Okay. So a slight, you know, not, not a huge deal. You know, I wonder how this is going to be affect, uh, affect this sort of, uh, you know, we've had Sasha Sorowski on the show trying to do a split season. This might be a nice test run to see how things go and say, yeah, it, it might make sense after this. So maybe we can make lemons out of lemonade. So, uh, all right, let's, let's cover a lot of this stuff with Grant Wall. Cause you know, we'll talk about, uh, you know, Gareth Bale or, or as you call him, Grail Christian Bale, um, yeah, but and, they're both they're both great actors. Yeah, they really are. We'll, we'll talk about uh, what's going on in Barcelona. All the leagues are getting underway. Uh, some uh, an MLS wrap up. Uh, all kinds of stuff with Grant Wall. So so stick around when we return. Uh, football with Grant Wall, the host of that show. Grant Wall will be talking to us. He's uh, on a he's on a road trip. His first one in seven months. He said in Arizona. Um, so he's in the lobby of a of a hotel. So he's not in his, he's in a home, uh, an away game. He's playing an away game this week, but we're going to catch up with him. You're listening to Over the Ball. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to socceramerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to ticketiq.com 
And when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, our guest today is considered by many the premier voice of American and international soccer. He is also the host of the podcast, Football with Grant Wall. Yes, as I say all the time, there are other podcasts out there, and his is a great one. Grant, welcome to Over the Ball. Yeah, thanks so much for being uh, having me back on, guys. It's good to see you. You know, uh, before we get going here, I just, uh, the team, we want to just express our condolences. We are so sorry about the passing of your father. Um, It's uh, very difficult, and especially during such difficult times. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the man, who your father was. Yeah, first off, thank you for saying that. Um, Dave Wall was uh, a a really great guy, Uh, and uh, my my dad got me really interested in sports, along with my mom. Um, You know, literally my first... Uh, memories as a human are of watching Sugar Ray Leonard with my dad during the 1976 Olympics and seeing how excited he got about Sugar Ray winning the gold medal. And, and so I think from a very early moment, I think I was like three at that point, um, I saw him getting really into sports and energized by it and saw the power of it uh, and there were just so many other examples through the years of, of sports uh, events that we enjoyed together. I grew up in Kansas City, um, and so whether it was the Royals and George Brett winning the 85 World Series or watching Bo Jackson in person uh, just doing superhuman things or watching the, the 1988 Kansas Jayhawks basketball team and Danny Manning win the NCAA basketball title in Kansas City. Um, like, it, it was just like that for so long, you know? And so he and I connected on sports. Uh, you know, he always came to watch all my games, whether it was basketball or track and field or, or what have you, and uh, or soccer. And... Uh, uh, so I was I was watching games with him through the end, you know, and, and that was always how we connected in a lot of ways. And he got into European soccer over the years because I did. And so, I, you know, we we were you know watching Premier League games um, and just, you know, enjoyed doing that and spending that time and talking. Uh, you know, to each other during those, those stretches. So both my mom and my dad had huge influences on me. We lost my mom last year, but it, you know, it's uh, great memories I have. Well, that's the thing, um, you know, the bond that we have with our dads uh, and you even have with your mom with through sports. I think that's one of the difficult periods right now where some of the things that we use to get us ourselves through as a country through these difficult periods, a lot of times our sporting events and things where we can, you know, cause like going with your dad to a basketball game, it's, it's about the basketball game, but it's so much more. It's that quality time with your father. You know, you learn all those life lessons and you know, you're having a, a great conversation about a, over a hot dog about, about life. And so um, this is a gift that we have. It's sports are not just about sports. It's about the, the human condition, human emotions. So uh, my heart goes out to you and, and the best to uh, your family. Um, he's obviously got to be proud of the man that you've, that you've become. So, um, so, all right. So, my, you know, I say my dad, I, one of the biggest accomplishments I had was him to start to watch soccer and start to enjoy it and start to at least appreciate some of the subtleties towards the end there of his life because he used to be like, well, the one guy kicks the ball to the other guy. What was the big deal about that? I go, dad, 
30 yards on stride right to his foot. He settled it the first time, moved it inside, you know. So he's like, all right. So I, I got to talk to him about that, this, this game we love. Um, one thing that I feel as a nation brings us together, you know, you mentioned the World Cup, and one of my really big memories was the Munich uh, Olympics is what you were talking about, I think, in 76. Um, Olympics have not seen have, have lost a bit of luster, I think, a little bit over uh, over the years for some reason. But I think the World Cup still brings a lot of people together, the, the whole world, really. Uh, so talk about that a little bit. What kind of shape are we in as a U.S. men's national team and the qualifying? What, what's going on? What, what are you hearing out there? It, it's it's a weird moment, right? Because we haven't seen the U.S. men's national team play together in such a long time. Um, and so, you know, in, since the beginning of this year, and that wasn't even the, the A team. So, um, it, like, there's so much to be excited about when you see this young core of, um, of U.S. men's national team players and the clubs they're playing at now. So, like, just this weekend, I'm really excited to see if Weston McKenney plays for Juventus, which is not a club that I thought he would get to this soon in his career. Uh, and he's got a real opportunity there. Obviously, we saw Tyler Adams score a game-winning goal in a Champions League quarterfinal uh, for Leipzig. I think he'll probably move in the next couple of years to a to a really big club. Leipzig's already a pretty big club now. Um, Christian Pulisic just got the number 10 shirt at Chelsea. And even though he's still coming back, it looks like, from injury, he'll be back soon. And if he gets up to the level he was at at the end of last season... That's a really high level. Um, so you look at that, Gio Reyna, a guy who I had on my podcast last week, uh, still just 17 years old at Dortmund, figures to actually play a significant role this season. Um, and Serginio Dest, uh, a, a right back, can play left back, uh, still very young, but now might be in a bidding war uh, to go from Ajax to either Barcelona or Bayern Munich. And in, in this group of five, I think, is that's, those are the pillars that this national team is going to be built around, not just for 2022, but for 2026, because they're that young still, which is crazy. And it's hard not to get really excited about what you can build around that. And obviously, there's other guys, too. Um, Chris Richards is a guy who might make the Bayern Munich uh, bench today uh, and could be the you know, future center back for this team. Um, you know, Josh Sargent uh, sounds like he's going to have a, a bigger role, maybe even be a regular starter for Werder Bremen. And so that's a lot to be excited about if Greg Berhalter can put it together. And, and I realize that he just hasn't had his guys much. And, and so you want him to get those reps. Um, you want to see the schedule get firmed up for World Cup qualifying because they can't postpone it much more, you know, than they already have. Um, and, you know, it, it's all, it looks like it's all going to be in 2021 and 22 now um, for qualifying. We're not going to get it started this octagonal this year. Um, and so we wait, <laughs> like we've been waiting. We wait. Uh, Grail? You had a question for Grant? Yeah, Grant, great having you. And again, my uh, heartfelt condolences. Um, Thank you. Just, yeah, just kind of continuing on the World Cup qualifying thing in the U.S. team. How do we – I think we've got something like 650 matches left 
to play in qualifying, which seems like an absolutely absurd number of games to play. Do you, do you think at some point they may have to just look in the interest of kind of getting qualifying done on time? Because again, we can't project out the COVID implications down the road of what that could do to throwing a glitch in, in qualifying. Do you think they may have to look at some point, you know, three months, five months, whatever it is down the road of maybe kind of rejiggering the qualifying just to make sure that they that they basically have a backup plan in place because it just seems like a lot of games, a little amount of time, and then COVID looming out there as the uncontrollable force. You know, it looks like other confederations are getting going. Like even South America just announced that they're going to get started with the World Cup qualifying tournament next month. And, you know, obviously the virus isn't contained in South America. We know it's not contained in North America. Um, and so I think based on what the expectations are for a vaccine that that they should be able to, to get going and, and play the schedule that they want to play for this octagonal. You know, you're talking about 14 games. So it's, um, it's four more games than the hexagonal. But you're not, if you're the U.S., you're also not having to play that, that four-game semifinal round this time around. So it's kind of, it evens up in a sense. And as much as we've criticized the Qatar World Cup for so many reasons that are deserved, there's an extra time window because that World Cup doesn't happen until November, December of 22. And now that extra time window is going to come in handy for you know, dealing with this COVID situation. So well, that's um, a good point. That's a good of, point. I hadn't thought of that. So it kind of might work in all of our favors. Yeah. I mean, like what, what's crazy is CONCACAF, in addition to all these World Cup qualifiers, still plans to play the Gold Cup next summer with a record number of teams. And it's a pretty busy schedule. And, and I do feel for the players because when you look at having to play basically – weekend midweek for a really long time if some of these places are going to have either no winter break or a very shortened winter break some of these countries and then you're going to dive right back into national team world cup qualifying players are going to break down we're going to see more injuries and i i I look at england being england and being the exception and saying oh we're just going to go to three sub back to three subs while the rest of europe and all these other leagues do five subs but you're going to see more injuries with the three sub situation sam yeah uh, grant building a little bit off what you're talking about earlier um, i'm wondering if there's been any talk of the u.s kind of having a, a national team base in europe the way i think brazil and argentina have done in the past as you know more and more of the core is stationed over there. Um, and I, I'm just curious if there's been any talk about that. Yeah, I mean, we haven't had any official announcements yet, but it looks like uh, they're trying to get one or more games for the U.S. men's national team in Europe in one of these remaining windows in this calendar year that would involve U- European-based players. And now there are plenty of European-based players. I think we're in... A different era now. There was that stretch under Klinsman when Michael Bradley and Josie Altador and Clint Dempsey all came back from Europe to MLS for big money, above market money. And it's clearly changed 
back to the best U.S. players on the national team are in Europe. And, and the, the numbers of young emerging players are, have increased quite a bit in Europe for the U.S. So that's a good thing, I think. Uh, I'm sure Jurgen Klinsmann would have liked that more back in the day and, and wouldn't have gotten into, you know, PR wars with Don Garber, which was crazy memories if you go back and look at those things. But, um, um, but you know, I, I think that's a good thing, you know. Uh, I know the, the U.S. players, they, they all have a – a WhatsApp, you know, chat group together, you know, Polisic, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, all those guys. And they're all, they're good friends. They really want to play with each other and see each other. Like, and, and I hope they get that opportunity. Yeah. You know, you take all that you've learned from your club, you know, a great club like Chelsea, and you, you just almost want to share it with everybody and show off in a way. But you know, here's the thing, you know, we're talking about these, we have a good solid base of players now that are playing overseas for really uh, significant clubs, yet all of us here on this panel are still so nervous about qualifying. Why is that? Why the disconnect? Fresh scars, man. They're, they're still fresh. Um, it's um, it's a U.S. fan base that, I, if you're a hardcore U.S. men's national team fan, I, I think for the rest of your life you will feel a scar and a, and a pain about not making the World Cup in 2018 and how that all went down and all the horrible things that had to happen to, um, to cause that. Um, and so that's also part of being a fan, I guess, you know, in other countries that have pretty good soccer teams that failed to qualify for a world cup, but, uh, you want to see the sport continue to grow in the U S. And so you need to make it to world cups every four years, men's and women's. And, and that's how you create new fans of the team, uh, in the country. So, um, I do think, though, like, so, so much had to go wrong for 2018. I think it's, you know, knock on wood, I, I, I think it's, the, the odds are that it's very unlikely that lightning would strike twice like that. And, you know, maybe there's a, there's a Twitter account called Old Takes Exposed that I'm sure will dig up me saying this, but I, I, I if, if the U.S. doesn't make it, but, um, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism right now, but I also understand why U.S. fans uh, won't be sold until they see it happen. I think, you know, yeah, we're talking about uh, some some bad feelings around 2020 as well for other reasons that have nothing to do with <laughs> soccer. So this disbelief, um, you know, I think you're right. It's that that scar tissue that a lot of us have been in this game for a long time and saw progress, saw us moving you know, constantly on an upward pattern. Uh, we're just devastated. I was on a cruise ship when I watched that game, and I, 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 it was like, I don't think soccer fans will ever forget it. I think it's like our parents' generation knowing where they were when President Kennedy was shot. <laughs> it was horrible, you know? It was just this whole thing. I felt so gutted. And the worst part was I was around all kinds of foreigners who just thought it was hysterical, and the U.S. doesn't do something well. So uh, <laughs> it was kind of annoying. So let, let's bring it back domestically. You know, you mentioned Don Garber. Um, MLS has, has, has moved and made strides. It's getting better and better, too. So um, what uh, is your, your current take on MLS after the bubble? It seems like certain teams are doing better out of the bubble now than they were in the bubble. So, um, but, you know, all in all, that was a successful run. So, Yeah, I, I mean, they got through the tournament. I enjoyed watching that bubble tournament. Um, and I, I think they made the best of a, of a, of a bad situation. Um, 
And then even though Columbus didn't win that tournament, uh, Portland did, I think right now, based on a, still a fairly small sample size, I think Columbus might be the best team in the league. And, you know, you look at, at what Caleb Porter, who's won a league title, has done in the couple years he's been back there, and there's a real concentrated strategy there that he's uh, he's put out working with Tim Bezbachenko. And, you know, to, to get guys like Darlington Nagby, who I think does things that no other U.S. player does, and it's unfortunate that he's not part of the national team. Because... Is it, now, let me, let me cut you off there, Greg. Is, it, is that because of the national team, or is that because of sort of how he feels as a player? Darlington Nagby has been pretty consistent in saying that he wants to focus on his club uh, game and, and his family and had wanted to limit travel. And I don't know if he's had any specific conversations with Greg Berhalter lately, but it doesn't sound like his position has changed, Nagby's. Um, but he also brings a poise on the ball uh, that is just really helpful, and we see it every week with Columbus. Um, so uh, I, I enjoy watching Columbus play, uh, and, I, and I think right now they would – be my favorite to, to win the league, however many games they do end up playing this year. Um, you know, I've been surprised that LAFC, which was far and away the best team in the, in the regular season last year, has, has struggled, especially on the defensive end. And um, they just, they concede a lot of goals. It's very entertaining to watch their games because they score a lot of goals. And, and yet it's hard to see them winning a, a championship if... They're just so porous at the back. Um, so, you know, th th that's kind of what's standing out to me. Inter-Miami making a big signing with Gonzalo Higuain, uh, Blaise Matuidi. Um, you know, they're a team that is toward the bottom of the standings, but things can change quickly, and you like to see the ambition uh, in an MLS team that's new to, to sign big names and I you know it looks like Iguain actually might be semi-fit based on the pictures I've seen which has always been a concern about him and and we know he's a great finisher right and you know Miami has been a saga that's been ongoing uh, so it's good to see them at least kind of take the training wheels off a little bit down there and get going and to, as far as Nagby is concerned that guy does things on the ball that like you said no one else sees and it's also very difficult to take it away from him he, he you know his possession is fantastic buys his team you know his team time so I hope that he's brought in. You remember with Klinsman, Klinsman sort of punished um, Donovan because he wanted to take a breather. And that's just apparently not, not the, uh, the German way or, or Klinsman's way or whatever it was. So, uh, you know, we all, all are moving towards this qualifying. It's just, it's, it's got to happen because the game needs it right now. Grail, you had a question for Grant? Yeah, yeah, Grant, staying on the domestic front, uh, the NWSL has taken some hits recently in terms of uh, Alex Morgan, I think became the fifth U.S. women's national team player to go to Europe. She's going to do a, a short-term loan deal with Spurs. And I'm just curious what you think, because obviously, you know, if you're the commissioner, Lisa Baird, you're real to, to sponsors and to CBS, your broadcast partner, you're talking up the quality of the team. And, and unfortunately you've lost five, incredibly good players. I'm just curious what you, what you're thinking long-term of the impact that that's going to have. 
it appears that you know these players who have left may not be gone beyond this season. Um, so you're talking about Kristen Press and Tobin Heath with Manchester United, um, Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle with Manchester City, and then Alex Morgan with Spurs. And they just want games. And they can't get them in any large amount in the NWSL. So, like, NWSL has sort of scrambled to get a few of these challenge games together and they get them on big CBS on consecutive Saturdays for a month. And that's great for making the best of a bad situation, but it's not like they even plan on doing anything beyond these three or four match days. And so these players quite rightly want to go to a place where they can get games. And, and it is cool. I think that uh, NBC got the rights to uh, the WSL from England and we can watch these games now and and that's terrific and um, it's purely a result of the U.S. not as a country handling COVID well and this is this type of stuff you get punished for and it's not necessarily the NWSL's fault but you know the way the contract situation works with the U.S. women's national team players where they're contracted to U.S. soccer and not to the NWSL teams has also created this situation so um everyone i talk to at the nwsl like thinks it's sort of a a temporary hit and they understand it they've been dealing with this a little bit all year they had that bubble tournament out in utah that actually did pretty well and uh on tv did pretty well and but they didn't have several star players like megan rapino or uh, or Tobin Heath or Kristen Press because they gave the players the opportunity to decline and still get paid because of COVID situation. So and my 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 favorite player, Rose Lavelle. I mean, uh, she's magic on the ball. I think she's you know underrated in that last cup. I thought she was the player of the cup. Um, Brent, just a quick follow up on that. I'm glad you brought up the point about our country not handling COVID properly because you would think that that would mobilize the sporting public to do the appropriate things to get our sports back to where we want them to be. But, uh, but, uh, but oddly, there's a, not to get too political, but there's a huge segment of the population that just doesn't want to do the simple things to allow us to get back to watching and playing sports. That's the thing that's dumbfounding to me. Yeah, because it shouldn't be political. It should be all about the science of fighting a virus um, and doing the things that we know you can do because we've seen it work in other countries. Unfortunately, due to everything that's happening in the U.S. over the last couple of years, last few years, this became a political thing. And a large section of the, of the country doesn't seem to understand that if you want college football back fully, or if you want any sport back fully, that the solution isn't to try and just force it through and not change your behaviors or to blame organizers for not having the guts to go ahead with things. It's to actually do the things that you have to do to control the virus. Well, I, I was, I was, and, you know, 
I mean, I feel like the have the uh, intestinal fortitude to not go forward with the season like the Big Ten, which has surprised me. I mean, basically pressure from the White House. Those athletes are going to have to go out there. Many of them are African-American at a higher risk for COVID, you know, um, medically. I mean, for our enjoyment, they go, what are they? Are they literally gladiators now? They're, they're going out risking their lives, not just playing football, but in the middle of a COVID pandemic. It's, it's absurd to me. So, And in college, college sports, you get into an entire different thing separate from pro sports, right, where they're not getting paid. Um, and it, it's, I mean, you know, pro sports are at least slightly different, and I can understand trying maybe to do a bit more to try and get pro sports going, but um, it's, it's kind of crazy. You know, I'm here in Arizona on my first trip in seven months outside of New York City, and it's just a different world here where in New York you still – can't eat indoors at restaurants at all and here in Arizona there's people all over the place indoors at restaurants and people who don't wear masks and it's just it's like coming to a to a different world in a sense well you know it's, it's interesting it's been couched as a as a personal freedom that's being infringed upon when we really should have looked at it as protecting our neighbors you know e pluribus unum we, we are all in this together so all right before I get everybody and all of our listeners too depressed about the current, <laughs> current national feeling, um, did you watch the Liverpool-Leeds game? I, I want to get your thoughts on that because Leeds looked good. They deserved maybe a draw, and I, I think um, they could have a good run in the Premier League. What do you think? That, that was such a fun game, just as a, as a neutral to, to watch that game, to get excited about it ahead of time because you thought there was the possibility, knowing Klopp's Liverpool, knowing Bielsa's Leeds United and how they play. And, like, it's, it was just back and forth. It was it, it, and so much fun to, to see this, the identities of those two teams be expressed so clearly so early in the season uh, without a big preseason stretch. And, and, you know, for any of your listeners who haven't spent time watching Marcelo Bielsa's Leeds United, they are just the highest energy team in the world, maybe. You know, just how they go about 90 minutes, full pressure, just trying to win the ball in a, in a very coordinated way, uh, deep in the opponent's half and convert on that. But they also, when they win, if they ever get the ball in possession, they can do that too. And, and they, the players clearly understand how Bielsa wants them to play, and they're amazingly fit. And it's, you have to be to play that way. And, and you know, just, I saw Jurgen Klopp's post-game interview, and he was he actually, he was happy they got the win, but I, I think there was a feeling of, he was jazzed. He had his adrenaline going still because he appreciates that the way that they play. And Liverpool has that to an extent too, right? Even though they've kind of found different ways of playing in recent years that have been effective too. And it helps to have Mohamed Salah when you can get a hat trick out of your guy uh, in, in a situation like that. But... Um, I just think Leeds United is going to be fun to watch every game of the year. And so I'm excited to see them play and have them in the league. And I can't say that about too many prom you know, promoted teams, right? Where it's like that promoted team is going to be must-see television in the Premier League because usually those teams get whacked. 
You never hear that. You absolutely never hear that. And that was what was so refreshing. And uh, it was interesting to watch a team out hustle Liverpool really um, like that and, and have composure on the ball and ha- definitely had a game plan. You could tell that the Klopp was like a little dumbfounded. They got out coached, I think. And it just happened that someone like Salah, uh, you know, they put it together and, uh, and saved his butt. So, um, and he, well, so what else with the premier league are you looking at? We're hoping Christian's hamstring heals. Uh, amazing to think that a, a young American like that has been given the number 10, but he certainly was the most dynamic player for Chelsea for a while there when he was healthy. Yeah, I, I like, I hope Pulisic gets back on the field starting games soon, that this doesn't drag out. And I just want him to to be consistent, to not pick up a, even a small injury early on here. And he's playing on a Chelsea team that has had one of the most remarkable transfer windows we've seen a team have in a really long time. This is sort of a throwback to early Abramovich era where they just bought, bought, bought. And I, and I think part of that's because they had the transfer ban where they couldn't buy any players for a while. But, you know, the, the guys that they've brought in here, and, you know, their first game, though Kai Havertz wasn't, you know, didn't totally stand out, but I think it's going to take him potentially a little time. Uh, Timo Werner certainly showed some some flashes, drew the penalty in their first game that they won. Um, and, yeah, like just the additions that they've made at Chelsea are really exciting. And I think suddenly Christian Pulisic is on a team that can not just, you know, can do more than just qualify for Champions League. They should be able maybe this season, but definitely next season, challenge to win the league. And um, they got a lot of points to make up on Liverpool from last season, but the only concern I have with Chelsea is, is the back line going to be good enough? Because they conceded a lot of goals last season, and they did bring in Thiago Silva, but he's about to turn 36, uh, and so I know it was a free transfer, but I don't know if he's going to necessarily be the rock in their back line. And I'm curious to see what they, if they still in this transfer window do bring in another center back. Uh, and, and they can get this goalkeeper situation over the line by bringing in uh, Mendy, the guy from Wren, which I, I, I don't know if that's going to be a huge upgrade. Capo was really bad last year and, and bad in the first game of the season. Um, I think Grant, I was going to say one of the things it seems to me from Chelsea and Grail could talk about Chelsea all day if we let him, but um, uh, it seems like the players want to play for Lampard. Uh, like it seems like a destination now. And Chelsea has sort of said publicly that as a team that they're trying to keep these players. They're not doing that, you know, uh, you know, lo- loaning them all out. They're talking about putting these guys on the pitch actually. So it's going to be some competition there. Um, Grail? Yeah, hey, Grant, the way the way I look at it with, with Chelsea, and I won't go on and on because Flinney will give me too much grief, but uh, I, I see the Silva signing really as being, you know, a two-year window where you bring in a guy who can organize the back because they've just been so disorganized back there, and you really need kind of, a you know, almost like a headmaster type figure back there who's, you know, does, did what John Terry did back in the day who's just really making sure that everybody's, you know, on their marks and communicating and all that stuff. And again, that, that to me is the linchpin to everything. You can get as many great midfielders 
and forwards as you want. You can get Timo Werner and Havertz and, you know, everybody else. But if you're not solid in the back, as Liverpool proved last year, because, again, everybody talks about Liverpool's attacking style, but Liverpool would not have won the league if their foundation in the back, in, in, including um, and um, Allison, uh, wasn't as good as it was. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, like, even if Thiago Silva can organize, like, their corner kick set piece defense, because, like, how many times have we seen Chelsea give up pretty easy goals on corner kicks and, and set pieces over the last year or two? And, you know, you bring in a new goalkeeper, and that's going to take a little while to to get the communication going. So th- there is a challenge there. I-, I-, I just remain a little disappointed. I just feel like this spending spree from Chelsea has been huge, but it's been very imbalanced. And, at, you know, and you're pushing the attack, pushing the attack, and that's great. And they'll be, they'll be fun to watch for neutrals, but to actually win things, um, even if like it's Declan Rice that they bring in and, and kind of force him into a center back, spot i would rather see them spend even more and go for a jose maria jimenez from atletico madrid you know a young accomplished center back um who i i think would be could be a rock in that chelsea back line for the next eight to ten years and i i just think right now i I don't know if rice is quite that and he's not even necessarily a center back so uh, yeah, John Stone we'll sort of signing. You know, it's interesting. Even with the success of Van Dyke, it seems like the Premier League still hasn't grasped that the classic center back, big guy, uh, is sort of outdated. You have to be more dynamic, uh, like a Van Dyke. And, you know, that's the one, you know, we'll get off Chelsea in a second. But, you know, coming out of the back, Chelsea is a little stagnant. They're not very dynamic moving forward from the back, even with penetrating passes. So hopefully, um, you know, you can get some players that, that can actually make that happen. Um, you, you're always connected with the things that are going on internationally. And one of the things um, that I wanted to ask you about is that what, what is happening at Barcelona? It seems like it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's uh, for, for such a, a classic club that for all this craziness to be happening, it seems really crazy. I mean, the Lionel Messi saga was pretty wild, you know, and, and, and certainly – a sign of just how chaotic things are inside that club and running that that club right now. And now you've got members, social members of the the club trying to get signatures together so they can force out Bartomeu, the president. And I don't see how that team can be successful this season with all that going on. You know, you've got Ronald Koeman as, as the new manager who now has Messi, but they're getting rid of um, a lot of different guys. Suarez looks like he's going to go. Um, Rakitic is already gone. Uh, Vidal is heading out. Um, like, I, I think it's, it's interesting to That's see. That's pretty big. I mean, Suarez. Know, pursuing Serginho Dest. Yeah. I mean, that, like, Suarez has been, you know, really big for them. Um, you know, they may... You know, push out Nelson Semedo, who is so bad in Champions League for Serginho Dest. If I'm Dest, do I want to go into that situation? I don't know. Um, and yet you still get to play with Lionel Messi uh, if you're a new player coming in. So Memphis Depay sounds like 
uh, he's going to come in. It sounds like a very Dutch-influenced, Kuhlman-influenced uh, group. And you've already got Frankie de Jong there, who had a little bit of a rough first season. But we know that he's capable of playing at a really high level. And so much for me with Barcelona comes down to, one, is Messi going to be engaged and do Messi-type things, uh, despite being clearly disappointed about having to be there and and will they be able to have guys around him to support Messi so that it's not the one-man gang that it so often seemed like over the last year um so I mean it will be compelling to watch from a sort of dramatic perspective but if you're a Barcelona fan I think you're really upset right now right Grail do you have a question you know, I was just going to say, and, and Ter Stegen's fantastic, but he's he's going to need some serious help in the back too, because as we were saying about Chelsea, I mean, they're kind of a shambles in the back at the moment. Um, I, you know, just looking at that uh, the Bayern match, I'm not saying that that's you know instructive of how they're always going to be uh, against really good teams, but I just feel like they've got so many things to sort out there. And, and uh, I'm, I'm with you, Grant. I'm just, I'm wondering where Messi's head is because it's almost like he reluctantly agreed to stay there, which is a, not a good mindset. Yeah. Um, I, the one thing about Messi is I don't know if strategically over time he has been always the smartest about how he's approached things. So like... You know, I mean, you guys remember that right after the 2016 Copa America final in MetLife Stadium when Argentina lost and Messi comes out and says he's retiring from the Argentina national team. And and that was just him sort of lashing out and we kind of knew wasn't real and turned out it wasn't real and he came back. And, and, and so for a guy who actually doesn't say much publicly... Uh, when he does say stuff publicly, it's not always the most strategically thought out situation. I did think the interview that Messi did when, uh, with Goal.com when he announced that he was going to stay at, at uh, Barcelona, I did think that was a, a pretty amazing interview. Uh, if, you, if you read the transcript or, or watch it, um, I mean, he just napalmed the, the Barcelona front office, basically, the, the directors who run that club. Um, and I think eventually here that's going to f- cause the president of Barcelona to leave, and, and I'm sure Messi wanted that. But um, I, Messi's just such an enigma, I think, uh, over the years when it comes to what he says and doesn't say publicly. Um, and he's always sort of let his play do the talking, but it's, it's like this season – Everything he does now is going to be read in sort of a micro way about like, oh, is he not going 100%? And I get kind of sick of people talking too much about body language. We're going to hear a lot about Messi's body language this season. Well, I mean, this is the same thing he faced playing with Argentina, you know, the feeling unsupported and things. And, you know, look, Grant, you, you just lost your father. I've lost my dad. I, we loved our fathers. My father was a great man. Uh, I wouldn't want him to represent me in international 
dealings right. with Barcelona. <laughs> and you have Messi's father and you have Neymar's father. And it just and Ronaldo like they, and Ronaldo's father. father. And they just gum up the works, you know, <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's bizarre. So, hey, we got to go. But I, I just want to ask you really quickly. I'm uh, really excited about Gareth Bale coming back to the Premier League. So we get to see him play a little bit. Boy, that guy waited it out, didn't he? He really called their bluff because he wasn't playing. He's like, I'm golfing, man. I'm, I'm going golfing. What was, what was the nexus of that? Where, like, what started that? Just his injuries or, or what? Because Zidane just does not like him. Yeah, I, I think it was injuries were one thing. Um, you know, when you look at, at the things that Gareth Bale won at Real Madrid, including several Champions League titles and scoring some amazing goals in those runs. Um, I think if you look at Gareth Bale's time at, at Real Madrid, it certainly was productive in, in several ways, maybe not in line with most expensive player in the world, which he was when, when they bought him. Um, but there was a real, I think, disconnect between Gareth Bale and the Real Madrid fans, right? Where... He never really learned how to speak Spanish, which I think they took as sort of disrespect. And uh, the media there is, uh, you know, can have a big influence. And and they soured on, on Gareth Bale. And I think it was a little unfair, you know, when you look at what he actually produced. But I also think that, that Bale could have handle things a little bit better. If I was managing a player in his position, I would have said, dude, put in the time, learn this language just a little bit. And even, a, even an effort would be recognized and that will make your playing life easier. And it sounds crazy, but I actually think it's true. Absolutely. No, it just shows commitment and, you know, put, put some babble tapes on when you're playing golf or something, just, you know, maybe try to multitask a little bit. So, all right. Well, well, Grant, as usual, it's been great talking to you uh, again, uh, Grant Wall, the host of uh, football with Grant Wall and, uh, but more importantly than, than sports or, or anything really is family and the love we have for our, for our, for our family. And so again, our thoughts and prayers uh, go out to your family during this difficult time um, and, uh, and all the best in, in everything in the future. And we'll talk to you again. Thanks so much, guys. Good talking to you. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. Uh, it's, great. it's great talking to Grant. I mean, he knows, he knows a little bit about everything. It's, it's fantastic. doesn't matter. We, it's almost like we try to stump him each time he's on the show <laughs> with, with certain things, whether it's political or overseas or domestic. He's, he's always got the answer. He's got great contacts. He does really. It's, it's great to have him on. Oh yeah. I, I, I love hearing his perspective on everything. And, uh, you know, the bar, the Barca soap opera to me is just it's so intriguing and, and, you know, what, what the next chapter of that is going to be, who knows? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> one thing, one thing we didn't mention also is the, the former coach Setien and three of his staff are suing the team for uh, basically luck. like a wrongful termination. So uh, that's suing another them thing. For to under, keep suing them for underperforming themselves. <laughs> basically. Get, but they must have guaranteed contracts, right? So, I mean, they've got to pay the contract out. Maybe they were. They'll get, they'll get paid out. They'll get yeah, paid out. But I their mean, reputations were besmirched. I don't know what, uh, what the complaint is. So it doesn't seem to make sense why you're suing them. Think, I, I cannot believe that president has stayed in there because Barcamo, because 
it seems like everything is against him, the fans. The I mean, he's leaving anyway, he, I think, early next year. So yeah. I, don't, I don't understand why he's clinging to power just, like this. Just pay him off and move on. That's what I say. Uh, what else you got, Sam? There's a new MLS uh, voting. Yeah, a little uh, um, voting initiative. This is from Soccer America this morning, uh, an article by Paul Kennedy, um, MLS launching a major voting initiative um, called MLS Unites to Vote. I'm just going to read from the article because it's fresh news to me. But um, MLS is joined with Black Players for Change and the MLS Players Association to launch MLS Unites to Vote, a nonpartisan initiative to help players, staff, and fans register to vote and participate in this year's election. Uh, the MLS will work to leverage its platforms to educate communities, to promote National Black Voter Day and National Voter Registration Day, and inform citizens about the voting process, registration, volunteerism on Election Day, um, and the efforts of MLS clubs and players. So pretty cool. Great. You know, I mean, it we is fantastic. It. You know, something like this, uh, where we've been, uh, you know, gerrymandering and limiting the vote for so many people, uh, where you're, they're doing it as a government. Um, and these private groups now are starting to, to rally to, to make sure people get voting. I mean, to vote is American. Yeah. And LeBron James has been, you know, behind this voting cause for a long time. And I, I really think that, you know, athletes can have an impact. I really do with getting people to go to the, uh, the voting booth or do mail-in or whatever their preferences. But uh, well, especially when you're a superstar, when you're playing in the game, yeah. then, then as a, uh, you know, you're driving home and you're worried about being stopped and then someone tells you to just shut up and play. It's like, really, when the stakes are so high. So, uh, so that's, uh, that's that. All right, so uh, what do you got for us with the quiz this week, Sam? I've been looking forward to these, to kicking, <laughs> to kicking Grail's butt every week. I get, I, I, I get more nervous with Sam's quiz than I did with the SATs. Exactly. Uh, all right, so here we go. We were talking U.S. national team a bunch today and their sort of precarious position in the world's pecking order. Um, so... My first question is, what is the current FIFA ranking of the U.S. men's national team? And we all know these rankings are not, you know, I know maybe perfect science, but anyway. I'm going with 25. I'm I'm going 30, 32. Okay, it's 23, so not bad, Grail. Oh, Grail, I'm in the the ballpark. The the pessimistic Grail, Helen is suddenly optimistic. So this is where we are all of a sudden. It's not correct, but it's close. That's that's what I'm celebrating now. You got to take that. pretty good. So the U.S. reached its highest ever ranking in 2005, and I'm wondering if you can tell me what that was. I'm going to say eight. Six. Eight, spot on, Grail. Damn, he's cheating. He's not, how could I cheat? Come on, this is real time. I can't how, cheat. How could I cheat? Very easily. <laughs> and in 2011, we reached our lowest ever ranking. Uh, I'm wondering if you can tell me what that was. I'm going to say 47. Yeah, right below Samoa, I think that year. <laughs> uh, wow, I'm going to go... Uh, 46, just to be <laughs> <Yeah>. grail. <laughs> All right, it's actually 34. So I win! Not, I not win! As pessimistic as, as you this, this is a moral victory for us. You, We're actually you, in the ballpark. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I love that you're pulling me in there, but I just went over three, I'm afraid, here. So, so you, you won that one, grail. One final note. These rankings were first introduced in 92, and in that time, the U.S., uh, our average rank has been 21. So we're historically right around where we have been. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, so we haven't really no. improved. Well, geez, we're just trying to hold on right now, but I think um, we had growing pains. We talked about that with Grant, just about how 
you know, everything was on the up and up with the U.S. US soccer and the World Cup. We just seemed to be doing it a little better each time, putting more players out there. And then we had that the bottom fall out from us. So, yeah, uh, I, I just think for the big clubs, there is a huge, I mean, excuse me, for the big countries, you know, there's a big advantage because it just feels like they kind of know what they've got, you know, so they can plug and play a little bit more. And yeah. Burhalter's really got to figure out. Yeah, I mean, how you fit everybody together. So. Well, look, we, we talked about that last week where in, you know, World Cup cycles, uh, players play themselves into the World Cup, but then they, they don't make it when by the time it comes, they age out. And I think this time we've sort of skipped that period. So I think we're going to have a completely new look mm -hmm. uh, men's, men's national team. I think, you know, Josie or whether Michael Bradley, whether these guys, you know, are, are brought on the squad, they'll certainly be most likely coming off the bench, I would imagine, at this mm -hmm. point. So, um, guys, this weekend, what games are we watching? Well, I know we'll it's Liverpool. Okay. <laughs> what? Sorry to say. I'm, no, that's all right. You, you, um, know, you know I blurt that out. I was just going to say both Serie A and Bundesliga get underway this weekend, at which yeah. point all the major leagues will be playing. Um, and we didn't mention the Bundesliga is actually going to have fans in the stadiums at 20% capacity. No one else is uh, going to have anybody before, you know, at least the beginning of October. So not a surprise. So, the Germans no, so are Sam, away, once but. again, Germany will be leading the world in sports and, and really getting no recognition from anybody over here because they – People in America don't even realize sports go on outside of this country, apparently. True, true. But the game I'll be watching is uh, Juve Sampdoria on Saturday. Uh, curious to see how Pirlo uh, and McKenney fare. Uh, yeah. Yeah, see. Hey, there's a big world out there. I think COVID and global warming will remind you of that on a daily, daily <laughs> basis. So, yeah, I want to watch that Liverpool game. So I'm excited to see that against uh, – Girl, we should watch that together with face masks well, well, on. Yeah, I'll be interested. I'm, I'm really interested after that Leeds match, you know, if Liverpool's defense is suddenly, if that was just a one-off or if this is a harbinger of things to come. Like maybe they're a little bit, going to be a little bit shakier in the back this year. All right. Well, guys, anything else before we wrap it up here? No. Good stuff. Well, uh, we'd like to thank our guest, as always, a great guest, Grant Wall. Um, his podcast, Football with Grant Wall, is a uh, must-listen. He talked to Gio Reyna. Last week, 17 years old, playing for Borussia Dortmund. I mean, uh, this is a good thing. He's someone who's going to be back in the national team, guys. So this is going to be fun to watch. I think he's getting yeah. called to the full squad there. So, all right, everybody, that's all the time we have today on Over the Ball. For uh, Grail Hallett and Sam Griswold, I'm Kevin Flynn. Again, our thoughts and prayers go out to Grant Wall and his family during this difficult time. You're listening to Over the Ball, and we'll talk to you next time on OTB. OTB.